welcome to Bickering Geeks. I'm Aiden. I'm Lindsay. And this week we are very, very excited to talk about one of the earliest Lynch Frost collaborations, uh, One Saliva Bubble. Yes, unproduced uh, as of 2018. <laughs> Probably never <laughs> going to be produced, but um, available online as a screenplay. Mm-hmm. So we figured, you know, why not give it a shot? Let's read it and see what see what it's all about. Yeah. So uh, a bit of background on this project. It was it was their second project that they'd actually started yes, working with. Yes, they had started working on a screenplay about Marilyn Monroe, loosely based on Marilyn Monroe. I think it would have been a fictionalized version of yeah. her. Considering um, who kills her. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because in the, in the screenplay for that, apparently they heavily implied or explicitly stated that one of the Kennedy brothers yeah. actually killed Monroe. It was Bob. So Bobby Kennedy. <laughs> yeah, there I you think go. That, I think that's it. Uh, so that never made it off, off the ground. But yeah was heavily influenced the the later stuff they did in Twin Peaks, especially with the the troubled, you know, starlit, yeah, yeah. blonde, beautiful, mm-hmm. who ends up, you know, dead. Yes. So, <laughs> but point. then then they moved on to this one, which um, apparently was the idea was generated on an airplane. Oh. I read this and uh, they were laughing the entire time they wrote it. And uh, it made it all the way to location scouting <laughs> before... Funds dwindled and well, no, the whole uh, thing uh, fell apart. We, we watched an interview with Mark Frost last week uh, where it wasn't the, – the interview wasn't last week. We watched it last week. Uh, it was right before uh, season three came out where he was talking about this project and how it had come to be. I think they said – he said they were six weeks away from filming. Uh, they'd gone through all the pre-production stuff. It was basically ready to go. Yeah, they'd cast Steve they'd, Martin. Martin Short were going to be in it. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, and then the De Laurentiis – uh, production company went bankrupt yes and that's yeah. why this film never saw the light of day so yeah. it's actually um i mean we i read the first draft yes which, that's what i that's read, as well. You read yeah. as well okay so i don't know if there are any other drafts out there yeah it's unlike ronnie rocket that has a couple of drafts that yeah. are floating around but um yeah so i'm not sure what actual final draft would have yeah been if it how, yeah how different it would have been or anything um and there were a few parts that confused me in the thing that i think were just first draft problems um but it's it's a really interesting take. Lindsay, you described it as on the air meets blue velvet. Yes, that's exactly what I thought of when I was reading it. Um, and also strike it struck me that it influenced how much it influenced the return. I read it the first time before the return uh, premiered. So I didn't really have the kind of associations that I associate with the return now. Mm-hmm. So reading it again, was yeah very enlightening i think Mm -hmm. it it was just so clear how much of this came into play i mean people talked about it during the return so i mean i i referenced it. i think we talked about it on the podcast too but it just it wasn't like i'm reading this script and i'm just laughing out loud at some of the things that i'm just like that's a a direct quote that made it into the return or things that later ended up in twin peaks which we'll talk about as well but Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's uh, it hasn't been produced, and Lynch hasn't completely said that it's never going to be produced. But um, I think the quote from him was that it's just, there's just something missing. He says there's some meat missing from it, or it's not meaty enough, or something. Yeah. And I can see what he's getting yeah. at, at least with yeah. this first draft. That we'll probably get into it a bit. Just some of the things that that maybe don't work as well for yeah. us. Yeah. But it is a very funny script. It is a very funny script, and I totally agree with your your assessment of. Uh, on the air meets blue velvet uh if you haven't seen on the air or you haven't listened to our podcast on that show that other lynch frost production uh do go listen and do go watch because it is quite a funny sh- it's a it's a comedy it's a sitcom yeah uh, and this once live a bubble is a comedy film uh, as you said steve martin and martin short obviously not heavy on the dramatic <laughs> chops perhaps but great comedians of the yeah. 80s uh and yeah, here we we have uh, Lynch Frost getting to their their funny side. Yeah, like your story about them laughing the whole time they're writing. I could totally see it. Yeah, um, and it's so different from Twin Peaks or any of the other uh, Lynch Frost productions that made it out, um, except for On the Air. Uh, and On the Air had a very short life, and nobody watched it, and mm-hmm. nobody really remembers that it's out there. Um, so compared to Twin Peaks, it's very very different uh, feel and it's it's wacky and it's goofy and it really gets to this to their shared sense of humor which mm-hmm. is surreal it, and yeah oddball yeah screwball very screwball and, yeah. and physical comedy and like 
you know, they they punch down a little bit on some of the things. We'll yes. talk about that yeah. too. Um, but it's it's really great. But Reed uh, definitely will we'll obviously link to it. Definitely recommend it. On the air, you mean? Both. Both. We'll yes. link to both first. Okay. That's sure. Um, but I will say that it it does. Uh, it's hard to read a script that is so. Yes. physical that would be <laughs> such a, a physical comedy um so it isn't an easy read let's say it yeah. i mean it's quick maybe it, but yeah. it's hard to follow sometimes because it's and there's um, a lot of characters that i think if you were watching you'd be like oh that's that guy because he has some weird thing to him that yeah. makes him memorable and here it's a just physical a name. thing here yeah, it's physical just a name thing. And a page. yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah or a costume piece or something that would make them stand out but here it's like who is this guy again? And yeah. we had, I did a lot of backtracking. Uh, and it gets even more confusing when people switch bodies. So Lindsay, let's, let's get into let's it. Get into it. <laughs> what is One Slime of Bubble all about? So it starts off with this uh, government installation where there are these scientists working on some kind of top secret thing. And there are security guards who are of, as the script very plainly states it, of a different... Um, intellectual class yeah i'd say that uh the jokes that they make that that cause this whole thing to erupt are ridiculously simple like it's literally (laughs) she said to him poo poo on your pee pee and that makes everybody laugh yeah and and the laugh is is key because this one security guard uh blows a raspberry and a, a one perfectly formed bubble of saliva shoots from his mouth and lands in some kind of electronic, uh, electronic array thing. Yeah, yeah. and causes a malfunction. This this saliva bubble, and they, they go into a really beautiful description of mm-hmm. this bubble like vibrating between copper wires yeah. and it Shorting you know, shorts out. out. Yeah, yeah and, and there's, you know, an LED that goes out. But anyway, all of this happens and sends a signal up to some uh, satellite or something that's orbiting the Earth and sets off a countdown that... 24 hours later, shoots a laser beam that the military later uh, refers to as the tunas peeing on Kansas. I, yeah. It's very strange. <laughs> it's but anyway, um, <laughs> so this laser beam shoots on, onto this town of Newtonville, Kansas. And we meet the, the characters of this town. So... In that 24 hour period. Yes. Yeah. Like so, the first 24 hours is kind of an intro. You meet all the characters and kind of get a feel yeah. for the town, which yeah. is like a wacky version of Lumberton, right? Yeah. It's, it's, this is where I, I kind of thought of, yeah. um, on the air meets Blue Velvet because you get, you know, the people who run the roller rink and the people who run the diner and there's a used car dealership and they're all kind of bumbling around. They're not, you know, super bright people. They're just, you know, country, country bumpkins almost. Mm-hmm. And we meet the main characters of this drama. Not a drama. It's not, not a drama, drama at but all. Yeah, but it's the story. The story. Yeah, sure. So we get Wally Newton uh, and Horton Thursby. Mm-hmm. So Wally Newton is... Um, He's a used car salesman. Used car salesman. Who's never sold a car, apparently. Never sold a car. <laughs> and he is a family man. He's married to a woman named Polly. They have mm-hmm. a son named Gordy. Yeah. And he's completely henpecked, oh, downtrodden. Yeah. Yeah. Just The most stereotypical. Yeah. Like, not, not even, yeah. you know, beta male. He's like omega male, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, he's just not even... Yeah. Not master of his domain. Let's no, very much way. not. Yeah. Then we have Horton Thursby, yeah. who is this... Uh, I don't know. How would you describe Horton? Oh, he's, he's just a, he's an underworld figure, dark figure who, uh, everyone's terrified of him. He starts off by walking into this company headquarters and he's, he's very menacing, obviously, because he says like three words to the receptionist and she's quivering. Oh yeah. And he's always pointing his finger in their faces. Yeah. And as soon as he does that, they, they, they turn to liquid. They're just, they're just totally scared. Um, and yeah, so he's kind of a hitman, underworld crime boss type figure. Um, He's been hired by company B B, in order to... Uh, I, I guess kill is yes. he is he there to hit? He's, I, he is he's there, taking a hit out on this professor. Take, yes. So company so there's two two companies company B and company A. Great naming. <laughs> it's very yeah. Anyways, uh, and they're both after uh, this scientist from Germany. I think it's Switzerland. Switzerland. Yes, yeah. that's right. They're in Zurich, uh, and he's some sort of wild professor who's going to solve all their problems. They, you and, never find out until the end what the the problem is that they're trying to solve, yeah. but. They've company A has called him in and company B wants him. And if company B can't have him, company A can't have him. So they've hired Horton to kill him. To kill him. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, it's fairly convoluted and this all comes about in a kind of strange way. So we meet Hugo yeah. Zenzermacher, who is the, the professor mm-hmm. in Zurich 
two of the people from company A have gone to meet him and he is your typical too bright for, you know, social interaction uh, professor. Yeah. Socially clueless professor. Completely socially clueless. And, uh, so the hilarity ensues as they try and get him onto the plane and fly him back to Kansas. All of this is happening in that 24-hour period before the laser hits. Mm-hmm. The other person who's traveling to Newtonville is Newt Newton, yes. who is Wally Wally's Newton's cousin. cousin. Yeah, and so he's uh, he's been struck by lightning. Yes. Um, and so he's in a, a mental illness. I call him, I, it's sanitarium? It's like, I sanitarium is what yeah. they call it, yeah. Whispering winds or something like that, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so he's basically uh, a mute. He just has says the same kind of things over and over he has a typically lynch frost sense of humor about um physical affection when someone kisses him he always punches at them right it's it's very strange it's like an automatic reflex yeah um very he on carries the everything way. in a sock yes every, all his dearest possessions yeah. are in a sock which we'll get to in a bit yeah. um and yeah so he packs up the the people in the sanatorium pack them up send them to the airport and he's also headed to yeah um, for his once yearly visit back home to yeah. newtonville which i'm guessing is named after the family it's, the family must be fairly yeah. big because yeah he you find out that uh, Wally's Wally Newton's uh, granddad. Granddad is a famous rich heir of the in the in the city. Not heir. He's the patriarch of the city. Basically, yeah. he has a huge mansion, yeah. and that's where Newt Newton is going back to visit as yes. well. Um, and so Wally goes to pick up Newt at the airport yeah. at the same time as Horton Thursby goes to try and track and perhaps kill uh hugo zinzermacher zinzermacher Zinzermacher? great name yeah so all four of these characters end up at the airport terminal along with a host of other characters there's a Mm -hmm. driver and an assistant there's a couple of of assistants the ones from company a Mm -hmm. there's a blues musician there's a a group of traveling chinese acrobats and a group of traveling texan businessmen And they're all converging on this small town airport for some inexplicable reason. They're all coming in. At the same time, which is, in the world of comedy, always going to be a recipe for disaster. So when this laser fires down on Newtonville, Kansas, it hits the lightning rod on the top of the uh, Benjamin Franklin Airport. Which is another thing we'll get into. The electricity references throughout here are astonishing. And anyway, it it causes this burst of energy that causes everybody in the airport to switch identities. So you get Wally Newton switching with Horton Thursby. So the the Omega male and the hitman. Super alpha, yeah. Yeah, switch places. And Newt Newton, who is this complete idiot, and Hugo Zinzermacher, who is this complete genius, switch places as well. With about the same level of social skills between (laughs) the two of them, yeah. Um, So, yeah, you get... You know, Horton Thursby going home and dealing with his wife and child who have run him down and his boss who completely, you know, emasculates him yeah. on a daily basis while Wally goes and befriends and socializes and um, is kind of a calming influence on this band of gangsters, yeah, I guess, underworld yeah, characters. Yeah. Meanwhile, Newt uh, is in the professor's place. The professor is, is in, in Newt's, Newt's place. place. And... <laughs> It's just, it's... Yeah, it is it's it is literally just a... It's a swaparoo movie. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, what? What's another one? Like, Big, kind of? Where sure. Where he becomes an adult or uh, face-off. <laughs> gets in a weird Freaky way. Friday. Freaky Friday. But without sure. that level of, um, like, there's no self-awareness in yeah. within the characters that they've switched places. Well, and, there's and, no real sense that they, that they understand what's happened to them. They just kind of go on their merry way. Yeah. Which is strange, and Aiden had some... Issues yeah. with that when you were reading it. Yeah, it was very, very confusing to me because um, it, the two main swaps, Wally and Horton and then Newt and Hugo, uh, they seem to have very different um, under- levels of awareness of what's happening. And it's almost like different things have transferred. In the case of Wally and Horton, uh, it's almost like just their personalities switch. Uh, Wally still looks like Wally, we think. It's not really clear in the script. Again, this is... Well, I would imagine it would because his wife recognizes him. Exactly, yeah, yeah. At least the other characters at least recognize him as Wally. So when he comes home, all of a sudden he's a badass motherfucker who don't take no shit, right? And uh, Horton is this bumbling kind of, whoa, what's going on thing. Yeah. Uh, But with Newton and Hugo, uh, Hugo's like... He at points he's like, oh yeah, you're gonna take me to the company headquarters where I've been hired to go and solve this thing, this problem, and 
the people who are picking him up as Newt, thinking that he's Newt, they're like, no, you just came from yeah. the Institute. What are you doing? Like, we're going to we're going to take you home now. And so it's it's really not the same level of switch switch exactly yeah. and that was just a little disconfusing well, for and, me as i was reading and i mean in the other cases the kind of b plots i guess that are happening with the texan businessman mm-hmm. and the chinese acrobats or the driver assistant and the um the blues musician yeah. it's again it's personalities but there's more like the texans are are still the Texans, but they believe that they're Chinese acrobats. Yes. And, yeah, and, the, Chinese and the Chinese acrobats are now working for Heinz, Heinz Corporation. Yeah, which is where the Texans were going. Right. So, But they don't look any different. They they are still ch- like... Yeah, visibly dress- they yes, look like, Chinese, but they act as if... And, and they, the Texans look like Texans, but they're trying to do human pyramids yeah, and acrobatic skills which on stage. Is really funny, but it's it's not consistent, and it's it's yeah. really not clear because we didn't get to see the characters whether or not uh, visually they would appear to to us on the camera um, as swapped yeah. or, or not. Like if one character starts playing Wally, um, when he gets switched, does his does that same actor then become Horton? Right. or does or does the actor playing Horton act like Wally or had been yeah, yeah. exactly it, it gets really confusing and there's <laughs> like I mean it, this is where, what we mean when we say that it's not the kind of script that's easy to read because yeah. these questions bothered us a I lot, think a yeah. lot as writers but also as you know just, just, trying, just trying to trying understand to what's, what's going, going on, on. Yeah. Um, but it is kind of interesting to think about this being um, the kind of the first foray for Lynch Frost into um, this world of switching identities because mm-hmm. it comes back so strongly in the return. I mean, literally, the the Wally uh, Wally Newton story mm. as it plays out with Horton playing Wally is essentially Dougie. what happens with Dougie. A hundred percent. Like you have uh, an overbearing wife. Yeah. A child in this case, Gordy is kind of a a troublemaker he's, yeah. he's not he doesn't treat his dad very nice and he right. leaves a mess everywhere and he's just not a very good kid yeah he's not like sunny jim at all yeah. but um but it's still interesting to see how you know horton as wally or is it wally as horton <laughs> i forget but the man who is with polly and gordy yeah. changes the dynamic of that relationship the yeah. way that dougie Does. dougie coop changed the relationship for janie and and sunny jim so um and that kind of plays out over all of these interactions. But most most importantly with Wally and Horton, because then Wally as Horton... We think. We yeah. think. <laughs> um, ends up, like... Uh, I want to say humanizing, but that's not the word. He just... He, he softens this group of gangsters and improves their relationship with the guy whose hangout... Whose, whose restaurant they're always hanging out at. And the woman, the, the gangster's mall... Lorraine, mm-hmm. who, which is also a name that shows yeah, up in Twin Peaks, yeah. as well as Ike. There's an Ike in this that oh, that's shows right. up yeah, in, yeah. in The Return as yeah. well. Uh, so, yeah, it's like, it's it's kind of neat to see how they were really interested in this idea of, you know, who you are in that moment. You're not able to do anything to affect change in your life. You're kind of, even even Horton as a, an alpha male, um, isn't able to enact change in his life to better the situation for those around him but as soon as those personalities switch, switch. then you can you know it, it's, it's almost like a fresh perspective or something exactly. that changes the rest of the, the situation yeah, it, around you it provides a balance that that neither of the characters had before like yeah. at, at one point lorraine is sleeping with wally who's in horton's body let's yeah. just put it that way uh <laughs> and she's like wow you know i always loved you because you're so strong and tough but now you have this tender side and it's just so perfect i, I love you even more yeah and it's like yes this is what the this is what their relationship actually needed this is what his situation actually yeah. needed. um at one point he uh wally is Horton does do a badass movie. He grabs the guy who's going to try and kill him by the throat, which is Horton Thursby's signature move, basically. Um, And he, you know, so whoever, uh, so even Wally is as Horton has this uh, rough edge to him, similar to like, you know, the final Cooper, you know, where he had the good and the evil. Or, well, even, even Dougie, when he attacks Ike the Spike outside of the Lucky Seven, right? Yeah. Um, It's, yeah. So like the seeds are here for Mm -hmm. that. Which is really cool to read, and, and especially with that hindsight. Um, 
let, let's finish the plot though, yeah, just sure. quickly, because there's there's not much to it. I mean, after the swap happened, it's basically a bunch of those fish out of water situations. But the military comes into play because yes. they figure out that something has gone wrong, yeah. and they come charging into Kansas. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, they set up a perimeter, and they like they're examining all the townsfolk, like, oh, these guys are messed up, and they start figuring out what's going wrong. Like they watch the the Texan acrobats yep. fail to form a pyramid. Yeah, and, and they stuff. visit the the Heinz Corporation and yeah. figure out that you know something is wrong here, yeah. and they they do. Zero in on the airport terminal being the locus, the locus. for this yeah. uh, having happened. Yeah. But um, so they, they come up with a couple of different solutions. One's bomb the place and one's ignore it. And then the third one's we'll try it again. We'll fire the, yeah. the beam from the satellite uh, once again and see if that that works. And spoiler alert, it does work on the third try. Yeah. <laughs> the, the second time, there's just another switch that happens. So <laughs> which is even more uh, confusing. Horton and the professor end up switching so it's like wally as horton as As hugo (laughs) and like this this all happens um but it only lasts for probably a couple of minutes on screen yeah even i think it's like 30 seconds yeah and then a third a third try sets everything back to rights but but meanwhile uh the corporation a and b have both they've been watching uh newt thinking that he's the the professor and so newt's like completely childish he so he pulls out his sock and he pulls out all these individual th- pieces and there's a little plastic record player and a piece of string and a rock mm-hmm. and a little pig. Yeah. And so they watch him playing with the pig and these sci- the, they have a <laughs> team of scientists that's watching him. They're like, oh my God, he's onto this. He's figured something out. And he's they, a genius. Yeah, they, we just don't know how he's a genius. And then eventually they, they extrapolate from whatever he's doing to, to say, oh my God, he's given us the idea for the this machine. Meanwhile, uh, <laughs> Hugo as Newt has called on the Newton... Uh, patriarch's massive resources um, to build his own version of the exact same machine. Yeah. Um, and so there's at the Newton uh, Manor, there's one of these machines being uh, built. Then in uh, Company A, they have watched uh, Newt <laughs> and created their own. Meanwhile, Company B had a spy inside yeah. Company A. So Company B is also building their own version of this machine. <laughs> it gets really quite crazy. Um, and then Basically, uh, you find out the machine is a bomb, mm-hmm. and then uh, New- Newton, Newton, the the seniorist, so grandfather Newton, presses the button and he's going to blow up the whole place. Yeah. Um, and then Wally as Horton comes and saves the day by shooting the thing. Oh, it's shaped like a pig, by yes, the way. Yes, it is shaped like a pig. This bomb pig. But it's not actually a bomb. <laughs> well, it, it it could be because if you have two of them together, then it's no longer a bomb. <laughs> right. uh, which is what. Ha- so when the the as Lindsay mentioned. They shoot the laser again, and after the third laser, company A and B merge yes. into company AB. Yeah, um, and all of a sudden, there's two machines there yeah. facing each other. And when there's two machines, uh, as explained by the equation, I'm just going to read this out because this it. is key to the plot. It's I I or two, I guess, times pig to the power of two times C equals in brackets Bob, which we'll get to. <laughs> But anyways, uh, it's B-O-B. Mm-hmm. And they explain that if there's uh, one pig, then that the B is bomb. And if there's two pigs, then it's or barbecue. <laughs> so <laughs> Because there are two, yeah. it ends up that this machine uh, has created the world's best barbecue sauce, which mm-hmm. the Heinz Corporation um, suddenly wants to incorporate into their their portfolio recipe yes, book or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So they become the Heinz 58 Corporation. Um <laughs> Have, have we mentioned how crazy this plot is? <laughs> <laughs> In the yeah. end, I think everything gets set to rights. I mean, Newt experiences being hit by a lightning bolt that um, causes him to be fine until a second lightning bolt hits him. No, maybe. someone throws something Or, yeah, something that's right. A rock yeah. hits him on the head or something, and he goes back to normal. Yeah. Um, but uh, everybody else seems to settle into their lives. And we get Horton and Wally oh, yeah. move into houses next to one another. And both of their wives, Lorraine and, and Polly, end up pregnant. Yeah. But the babies look like the other the ones, other ones <laughs> because obviously they were swapped. Yeah. Swapped. Yeah. Um, and that's and basically that's really it. it. I mean, it's it is a madcap plot. Mm. I mean, they're, yeah, we glossed over all the B plots about um you know, all the other, well, it's really all these other characters kind of adding on, but it feels very much like an on the air episode very much where there's, so. there's these other zany characters. Like the guys at there. the roller rink and yeah. their whole thing. I, I still am not 100% clear on it, everybody. Do they tie together at all with anything else? Not really, except they for that kind of there's existed. like their, their business was failing before. And now all of a sudden, since this electrical charge 
you know, charge to the town. Um, everybody's been going roller skating. Everybody's going roller skating, and and like there's just this mass of human beings on the on the roller skating rink. Then they ground it down, and they hit like yeah, bedrock on yeah. it because they've been skating on it so hard. But there's also somebody who spontaneously combusts within the trio of workers at the yeah. bowling alley, and he there's gas. this side plot. Yeah, he constantly smells gas throughout the entire script. There's a side plot involving a lack of cheese for the beefy cheese Louise sandwiches. Yes, and then there's a giant ball of cheese that's in space behind the satellite that's yeah. been sucked up from the So thing. I mean, there's a lot of really wacky shit that we didn't really we weren't able to parse but, at all. But it feels so surreal in yeah. that Lynch Frost way yes. uh, that it felt instantly at home and it again, it felt very much like uh, on, on the, the air, air, where yeah. where zany things happen. They don't really make sense, and they're not really tied. But you just to accept them. You're just like, oh yeah, that's funny, and it's that weird. happens in Newtonville yeah. all the time. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. But yeah, so like we mentioned, um, there's this this thread of swapping identities needing to happen before uh, change can happen, yeah. I guess. And um, and I'm not, I'm not sure what kind of how how would you write that theme if you were writing a an <laughs> essay on, that, on it yeah. but it seems like a pretty prominent theme especially considering the return and how how important it is for i mean doubling yeah and well i mean it, i mean in some ways possession's always been key to twin peaks i mean right. it's bob and and uh, leland obviously was a big thing yeah. um sarah and judy maybe yeah. you know so possession's always been an element in there um, but even if it's not possession, it's like the idea that there are maybe nested personalities or yeah. something that that's going on. Yeah. Um, because in in this case, anyway, there are. I mean, yes, Horton is in Wally, but there's Wally's sensibilities are still coming out. Like he still knows that he has to go home and he has a wife and child. So it's not like he's completely looking like Wally and acting like a gangster, right? So. So it's not, it's, it's kind of like, it's nuanced in a way that is strange, but confusing. Very confusing. Yeah. Um, Again, I think watching it, it might've been, I mean, there's again, cause there is just a lot of direction. There's, Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of dialogue and the dialogue that is there is cheesy Yeah, and very kind of simplistic in a lot of cases or, or it's overblown in the case of the professor like he's talking about vectors and and algebra and all this stuff and it doesn't really make any sense of course yeah. it's just gobbly mumbo jumbo yeah yeah to make it uh sound uh smart make yeah. him sound smart um but it's it's really kind of funny that way mm-hmm. uh that that really lends a lot to the comedy that it sets this tone very similar to any of david lynch's movies there's a tone there uh, that's set by the visual cues and the dialogue and everything. Everything is so absurd, yeah. right? And and this just ramps it up to to a totally different level. Um, another interesting thing that we noticed also, um, seeing as how this was kind of an abandoned project and the next one that they worked on uh, would have been Northwest Passages, which became... Twin Peaks, yeah. Twin Peaks. Northwest Passage, sorry, yeah. that became Twin Peaks. Uh there's a lot of reused dialogue and screen directions and stuff that, um, or stage directions, I guess, that really did remind us a lot of things we saw in Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. For example, um, there's an extended scene where Wally and Polly are attending a wine tasting, <laughs> and it could very easily have been um, yeah. Dick Tremaine Dick hosting Tremaine, yeah. this VHS tape that they've put into their yeah. uh, their VCR yeah. to try and learn how to taste wine taste properly, wine. yeah um yeah there's uh there's a line uh from when <laughs> uh harry's threatening um albert uh talking about right. i'll put you two blocks up on queer street or something yeah. like that that's literally in the exact same yeah it's, it's in stage, the stage directions yeah. about looking for his eye teeth to 12 blocks up on queer street um yeah so i mean things like that 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 literally just got reused and i mean that's not to say that it means anything but um just you know as writers when you hit on something that is good you're gonna reuse it right especially so, when you don't use it in the first place exactly. like, this was never made so like oh yeah i like that line i'm gonna yeah use i'm that gonna line. use that yeah. again yeah. um or it's i and i mean i i pictured this as a primarily mark frost written like physically written mm-hmm. i think yeah, and he's described I, that in the past yeah, yeah where he's the work. one who types because david lynch claims he can't type I think that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm imagining that Mark Frost did a lot of like the physical labor on this. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the stage directions and the things that are just, you know, filling the page are a lot of Frost stuff. Mm-hmm. So that feels, having watched 
so much of Mark Frost's stuff now, mm-hmm. um, that feels very much him. And yeah. that's his contribution to this. Uh, but I totally see the ideas that are being bounced back and forth here. You know, like the idea of a, a secret military installation yeah. that causes problems in, you know, civilian populations. Yeah. I mean, that's very Mark Frost, but it also has this ring of David Lynch to it, too, with this absurd, you know, army general. And mm-hmm. um, it, it just it's hard to tell sometimes where. Yeah, the two of them. Where the two of them end yeah. and begin. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. And this is a really good example of that, because, um, again, the characters are so zany and so out there that you're like, no, this can't. This isn't all just David Lynch. And this is definitely not all Mark Frost. There's. Uh, you know, David Lynch has his own unique sense of humor that's definitely expressed here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, some of the other things, like there's there's mention of an atomic bomb. Yeah. You know, that's that's obviously another uh, factor. Uh, there's the small town, which is, you know, Blue Velvet and Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd always kind of, at least me personally, I'd always viewed it, oh, well, Twin Peaks is obviously, the, the, the town itself is a David Lynch production mm-hmm. because Lumberton was his initial thing and he just kind of naturally progressed here. But there's this middle now of Newtonville, right. which is... I think, honestly, both of their, I think it's shared very similar. Between well, them. and I mean, Mark Frost has said that he was inspired by stories from small town New York where he, mm-hmm. you know, in upstate New York where he uh, grew up or something. So, I mean, there were murder mysteries. Maybe it wasn't New York. I can't remember what state it was. But, um, yeah, like things that, that they both kind of drew on to make this. So it's it seems very fitting that Newtonville is... It's not like a small, small town. There's something yeah. like 40,000 people. Yeah, yeah. The population sign. Again, another similarity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, yeah. There's And there's enough that there's two big companies and a Heinz sure. factory or something there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it is, again, uh, a small town America feel. But it has this, uh, as you're introduced to the town, there's this sense that it's on the downturn because mm-hmm. there's the roller rink is... A, it's empty, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a prosperous business, no. but even just the, the idea that there's like the wheels on this, this roller skate that advertise the the roller rink are turning so lazily in the hot sun. It just feels like a desolate place that mm-hmm. isn't, you know, it's not on the up and up, right? This no. is not a town that's going places, no. right? It's just a town that people live in. And that's how it feels like all the characters are reacting to life as well. They're just kind of coasting through, you know, Wally not having sold a car in his entire career, even though he's worked there for 15 years, you know, and everybody in town knows this. The highlight of their social calendar is this wine and cheese substitute party that they have, you know, because there's no cheese in town. Like it's just very um, absurd. It is, yeah. But in in a way that feels appropriate yeah i guess yeah yeah <laughs> like for a, a for this team and well yeah and, and for the story that they're trying to tell exactly yeah and it, it matches really well that way electricity is another thing that comes up a lot in this um in the script so every time we're introduced to uh, a setting whether it's the roller rink or it's the sign that announces the population mm-hmm. and you now entering Newtonville um, or any of the buildings that they all have lightning rods on top. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's references to electricity. We're zappy to see you or the, the neon um, on the roller skate is shooting off sparks, mm-hmm. you know, with every turn of the wheel. And then eventually is shooting off actual sparks. Once enough people are inside generating their own electricity to power the wheels on top of the building. Um, the fact that it's a, the Benjamin Franklin airport that's hit by lightning, the key, which is the lightning rod on top of the building is hit by lightning. And that's what causes, or is hit by the, the, the laser, laser beam, rights. I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and then there's all of the, the companies that yeah, help like, out to build this bomb, Yeah, you know, lightning fast plumbing and lightning fast electricians and lightning fast, this, that, and the other, yeah. um, this fascination with electricity is... I think that's a very Lynch thing. I, I haven't seen too much of that, and I don't get the sense that it was an obsession for Mark Frost the way it was for David Lynch, going all the way back to Eraserhead um, through Ronnie Rocket, which we haven't talked about, but that's basically all about electricity, mm-hmm. a, an electric-powered boy, right? Yeah. That, um, so, I mean, 
what does that say? And and then the fact that that electricity starts this whole thing the same way that it started Dougie's journey back mm-hmm. to Twin Peaks through the electrical socket into Las Vegas, right? So, um, did I say Dougie or Cooper? I said Dougie. Dougie. Well, it's true. It's true. I guess he comes through a Cooper socket. becomes Dougie. Yeah, through, the electrical, through the electrical socket, and then right. he jams himself. He becomes yeah. Cooper again. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, electricity is key to all of that. It's all of it. key to the Black Lodge. Electricity yeah, the is how all those they yeah. transport between worlds. So I mean, Judy here too, like yeah. absolutely, um, Bob for sure yeah. was you know through the ceiling fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have electricity be the genesis for this transformation mm-hmm. for all these characters, and the the way that other personalities can assert themselves in the same body. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what that says, but I think that that's important to note, mm-hmm. especially considering that the equation that Professor Zinzermacher has includes Bob literally right there yeah. in it. In it, so not again, not to say that it's literally Bob, but maybe it is. But maybe it is. Maybe it's just it could barbecue. Be. I don't know. <laughs> So there are a few uh, issues with the with the story, I think, and I think this is what Lynch was getting at when he said it was maybe not meaty enough. There, there's there are a few subplots that like the the spy that's in uh, company, company A, a that's working company for Company B, B or whatever. Uh, it, that he literally is in two scenes. He's there to pr- relay the information. He has no kind of funny scenes on his own. He's just literally there to tell you that he's the spy and then to spy at the one. Key, key moments moment. yeah so there's there's really no connection there um the you know you think you're going obviously wally because you get a, a glimpse into his home life uh you kind of assume that he's going to be the main character mm-hmm. and you're going to see his transformation a la dougie mm-hmm. or he's going to transform his his home life a la dougie which he does do um but it's very unfocused it's like he does it all in one day basically he comes home he beats his wife, basically, <laughs> yeah, and, and, like, and his child. Like, it's really not... I don't think they do it the same way now. No. Um, but, yeah, he basically beats up his his wife into submission, yeah. and then she's happy, which we won't get into. Uh, and then... Uh, <laughs> Why not, Aiden? <laughs> are you telling me something like No, no, not at all. That's not what I meant at all. But, <laughs> no, it's, it, I mean, it is interesting that that's the way that it happens, is that um, it's like physical power is... is yeah. What what's required to yeah. make them happy home life? I don't I don't know what the Yeah, it's it's kind of a It's a peculiar quirk of Horton Thursby's character that I, I mean because later on when when he comes after the the school teacher who spanks his son. Yeah. And then like attacks her, like smushes a grapefruit in, in her, her face, face, which is strange. Weird. But um, but then turns on the bully, the class bully, and like gives him this pep talk almost. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's incongruent. It doesn't really fit that he would be so violent with his wife and child, but then turn around and it's like, well, nobody can beat on my family except for me. Yeah. Side no, like yeah, that's sidebar yeah. totally. But but, but it, it does contribute to the issue that I'm raising, yeah. which is that the whole Wally. Uh, storyline it feels like just any other part of the storyline like honestly the 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 newton hugo bomb making uh is a lot funnier and it takes on a lot more of the uh time just in screen time i think it would be significantly oh more. see i thought i really like the newt horton thing so i thought I. that it could it could work better i didn't like it as much as i found the newt and professor storyline really confusing and i think it's partly because oh. of the issues that you raised where um, we're not really clear on what kind of transformation or what kind of switch has happened. Yeah. Um, I think that just, which may just be a result of this being a first draft that yeah, we're reading. Yeah, they hadn't but. quite figured out all the, the details. But yeah, um, and and same with, Hort- I mean, Horton's, uh, like Wally as Horton, uh, navigating the underworld and, you know, foiling uh, murder attempts by accident. By total accident. And, um, very Dougie move. Yeah, very. And he also, uh, at, you know, the end where he's got uh, these underworld toughs running a Michelin star restaurant. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> Making green pies. Green pies. Pie, again, also <laughs> yes. another connection. Yes. Uh, you know, it, that stuff's really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, there, there's no protagonist to this story. I mean, there's no. nobody to follow. There's no Cooper. Uh, there's no in uh, on the air. You're following the actress uh, lady. She is the protagonist, even yeah. if, you know, there's a bunch of other really great, interesting characters here. It feels like Twin Peaks without Cooper. 
Well, and and I mean, it's an ensemble comedy, right? If you, you think back to the 1980s, 1987, when this first draft was written, and you think about the people that they had actually tapped to cast mm-hmm. um, as cast members in this, like Steve Martin, Martin Short, um, they were really good at that kind of ensemble comedy mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was, it structure, was the thing. right? Yeah, it's yeah. not like you needed to have a protagonist. You could have just zany, almost sketch comedy put together by this loose story, this loose plot thread, mm-hmm. right? Which is what this almost feels like, is that the series of vignettes that but, but that are kind of loosely related. Kind of, but I mean, at the other time, it's very plot-focused. Like, there, there's really, I mean, except for, really, I mean, Wally and Horton, I mean, they're, they kind of abandon their stories of looking after Newt and just trying to assassinate the, mm-hmm. the uh, Hugo professor, professor yeah. yes. Uh you know, those kind of get abandoned, but the other one, you know, Newt and Hugo take on their plot becomes integral to everything else. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me a lot, comedy wise, of um, how I learned to love the bomb. Yes. Uh, and I can imagine there'd be a lot of a lot of that uh, in the filming of those yeah. scenes, you know, especially with the, the generals yeah. and stuff. You know, it relies on a lot of tropes. That, and that's uh, where the the I, I would imagine that's the big um the influences, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Goon Show, Peter Sellers, and that yeah. that whole thing, or Monty Python, even to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. maybe not so much, but yeah, like yeah. that kind of humor is is definitely evident here, and it's clear that that's what they were striving for. But with this uh, darkly surreal bent to mm-hmm. it, right, which is uniquely yeah. Lynch, Lynchian, Frostian, yeah, right, definitely. Um, what other problems did you have with? I mean, those were the major ones. Uh, some of the jokes weren't as funny. The racism about the Chinese yeah. stuff was really bad. So they the, they have the the horrible stereotypical accent. Yeah, and and it's it's pretty awful with the the fact that these are they're they're Texans, but they're Chinese from Lubbock, Texas. Yeah. So there's just lots of opportunities for them to like they give them names that are hard to pronounce, quote unquote, for yeah. the stereotypical Chinese accent, which I mean, those kinds of jokes don't don't play anymore. Right. Same yeah. with jokes about Chinese food. Yeah. You know, stuff yeah. like that just don't fly anymore. So it it, it has dated like it's not yeah. something if it were going to be produced today, it would have to be up, updated big yeah. time. But um yeah. yeah, and also the domestic violence. You know, yeah. just casual domestic violence just thrown in there. Yeah. A little bit yeah. uncomfortable. A little, yeah, a little uncomfortable for sure. Um, um, but yeah, other than that, I mean, it's, 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 I guess it's fine. I mean, it's a comedy. You're, you're right. It, it, does it make you laugh? I laughed a lot. I laughed a lot too. Yeah. And um, there were a lot of moments that, I mean, not just laughing because they're funny, but laughing because I could see the thread that led to, you know, mm-hmm. Dick Tremaine in Twin Peaks yeah. or uh, Dougie in The Return. Um, so, I mean, that kind of, that hint of recognition was kind of neat too, but, um, do you think this film could be made today? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they'd have to update the, you know, techno babble and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. Otherwise, yeah, definitely. I have a hard time imagining ensemble comedies today, the way that it it was done back then. So, I mean, when you think about Martin Short, Steve Martin, Mm -hmm. you know, the films that they were doing, stuff like... The Jerk or Caddyshack or um, mm. Ghostbusters even to a certain extent are based on a type of comedy that doesn't happen as much anymore. That's true. So that's a, that's a good point. I, I, mean, I don't know how, how easily this would get. Yeah, it, it would need to be adapted. And I have no idea who I would cast in any of the roles today. We discussed, though, yes. who you think would have been <laughs> attached. So Because this- as far as I could tell, I, I couldn't find any solid... Um, links or anything saying that Martin Short was going to play this character and Steve Martin was going to play that character. So I was left imagining who they were, who they were going to play. And we had totally different. We had the exact opposite (laughs) ideas of who was what. Yeah. So you thought, uh, who was going to play Wally? I thought Martin Short would play Wally. Yeah. And And I thought thought, Steve Martin would play Wally. Yeah. Which is interesting. And you thought that Steve Martin would play... Well, you know, and then... Or Mar- that yeah. Martin Short would play Horton Thursby. No, he would play uh, Hugo, the oh, professor. Oh, the professor. And see, yeah. I thought that Steve Martin would play the professor. And I don't know why I thought that. It just, it just seemed like Martin Short would be the perfect person to play this, you know, beat up, downtrodden... See, I, I Omega see, male. <laughs> yeah, see, I see Steve Martin just doing such a good... More when he's playing, when it's Wally inside Horton's 
uh, thing yeah. if, if it's actually uh, the actor's transfer and all because of a sudden, you're imagining the dentist from Little Shop of Horrors, aren't you? A little bit, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and yeah, and, and just like the physical, like like the the uncomfortable nature yeah. of being in that situation. I think Steve Martin would do a great job mm-hmm. of like a fish out of water stuff. He's just mm-hmm. he's great at that at you know feeling this weird social pressure and responding to it. It's almost more of a, a Jewish comedy See. kind of thing where it's like, oh well, what am I supposed to do now that I'm a gangster kind yeah, of thing? Like yeah. I feel like he's he'd really nail that but. jewish comedy meaning in the sense that it's um, yeah psychological, psychological yeah, yeah, comedy. Yeah, yeah. from you're borrowing from i was it nora efron who said that maybe yeah or rob reiner i can't remember yeah um it's not being anti-semitic just so you yeah, know yeah. <laughs> um yeah and i just pictured martin short being this kind of like um weaselly kind of wally character it just seemed like it would fit. See, I didn't view him as Weasley, just as downtrodden, like beat up. Like yeah. he, life has just taken him to the to the cleaners. Yeah. So often he's just he's lost all hope. Um, the way he like cleans out the car by just like, you know, like he doesn't like he he just puts <laughs> up with all of his kids' stuff just all yeah. over the place. He's just he's just worn down. Yeah. I think Steve Martin did, would do a great job of that. But anyways, I went further and I cast yes, pretty much went, every other character. Yeah, in the, in, I 80s. thought you were going to do the same. No, I but did you not. Didn't. I just did those two because those were the only two that were attached. So, so I'm if sorry. if Martin Short were to play Wally, I imagine someone like Dan Hidea playing uh, Horton Thursby. Here's a question for you, Lindsay. Mm-hmm. No, well, finish your finish your casting. Who else did you have in various roles? So I had uh, Steve Martin as, as Hugo Zinzermacher. If he were to be playing Wally, then I figured someone like. Christopher Lloyd maybe would play that kind of, mm. you know, mad scientist but yeah. just because of Doc Brown. Doc Brown, obviously. And then Newt was hard for a moment until I realized that Bill Murray would play a great Newt Newton, I yeah. think. Yeah, I, I, I pictured someone chubbier with a little more like, like you said Jim Belushi and I was like, yeah, like that would be great. Jim Belushi no, or not John Belushi? John Belushi, sorry. Uh, John Belushi would have been great jim belushi might also be actually jim belushi could have done an okay job too there. the way he's described newt's described is like kind of like he's got like a big eye and like he's yeah. just like he's kind of goofy happy looking all the yeah. time so so bill murray bill murray's more sarcastic and he needs like like newt has like four lines like yeah. i was telling you I, I feel like uh newt needed you know or bill murray needs you know some some material to work with he mm-hmm. can't just be there looking silly he has to talk in order to be really funny I yeah. think. but anyways Polly. Newton, though, I think, without a doubt, the only woman I pictured playing this was mm-hmm. Madeline Kahn. And I know you probably don't know mm-hmm. Madeline Kahn. Yeah. You do? Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, so that's who I pictured being this, like, overbearing, yeah. shrill housewife is Madeline Kahn, because I love Madeline yeah. Kahn to death. So that would be really cool to see. If my dream casting could come true. Um, well, my, my next question was, uh, which of the Lynch favorites do you think would have been cast, and who do you ah. think they would have been? Um, I was thinking especially, um, oh, oh, Jack Nance. Well, yeah. Okay. Jack Nance obviously would be someone. I think he'd be one of the guys. Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton. That's who I was looking for. Oh, okay. I don't know. I think Harry Dean Stanton would have been, uh, maybe one of the, uh, roller skate guys. Oh, yeah. One of the guys, the, um, Um, the employees at the roller ring. Yeah. I'm trying to think who would have been, uh, the general who like, jumps off a cliff every time something bad happens he winds up in body cast <laughs> the whole time. movie uh i don't remember i'm trying to think who that would be I, I think lynch would pick a favorite for that one too i mean you could have someone like dean stockwell play you know uh, the... yeah yeah perhaps yeah yeah i'm trying to think if there's any other uh twin peaks actors who who could have played one of those roles um well, David Lynch could play him. No, probably not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, no. He's not. Well, it, it, and it's interesting you mentioned that because that is one of the other tie-ins that uh-huh. we, didn't, we forgot to mention. Uh, at one point, they say, get me Gordon get Cole. Get Gordon Cole, Cole on, on the, the phone. phone. Yeah. You know, a direct ripoff from this point, only at Sunset Boulevard, which yeah. is also where it came in for the return. Um, but, you know, that character name, there it yeah. is again, right before Twin Peaks. Yeah. So, again, they return to this character. Um, you don't see a Gordon Cole in, no. this, in this one. There's no evidence at all of who this Gordon Cole would be. Just somebody in the in the military. But maybe he's in the FBI. Maybe he is. Maybe oh this is. Oh, my God. Is. It's all the same universe. Lindsay. Right. I can see it now. Aiden's going to write a grand unified theory of Lynch <laughs> Frost works. I can just I, I see I probably it now. would. Yeah. You know, I probably will <laughs> at some point, but... Yeah, other Lynch favorites. I mean, it's it would be, uh... you know, and it was funny. I was picturing uh, the whole time when we were in the the kind of 
bad part of town with the yeah. thing. I was picturing it again from Blue Velvet. That oh, yeah. whole scene. Yeah, Frank Booth's character. Frank Booth's character. Jack like, Nance Exactly. All these guys would, would be in the exact Roger. same yeah, recast. Yeah. I think those would be the same tough guys, maybe. Yeah. And that would have been great to see them. Yeah. The exact same, you know, sure. uh, group. Yeah. But in a comedy instead, I think yeah. it would have been hilarious. So. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it, the, the mind kind of boggles at thinking about this movie actually having gotten that far and yeah. what would have been different had it been made. But um, it is enjoyable to read and it's not a long read. I think I read it in an hour and a little bit, maybe oh, the second time. I took about two and a two and a bit. But yeah, well, you're a slow reader, so. Well, you. I actually read it all. You admitted you're I, like I skimmed yes, all the direction. Yes, because I've already read it like, once. You've read it before. So, yes. but yeah, I mean, it's it's worth reading, especially if you enjoyed the Dougie stuff from the return, which not everybody did, so it's fine. But maybe you'll find more enjoyment from this because there's kind of less riding on. There's mm-hmm. no Agent Cooper needing to come back to yeah. reality. This is just for here. fun. It's, totally for fun. And it's and it's great that way. Yeah. So what's next? We are going to be doing American Chronicle. American Chronicle? Chronicles. The Chronicles. Probably. It's a documentary series that Lynch Frost mm, did in the a documentary. late it's 80s, a early 90s. Yeah. 89. It's right around, again, same time as Twin Peaks. Uh, yeah. It was the third actually produced Lynch Frost production. Yes. Besides on the air in Twin Peaks. So... Uh, we're going to take a look at that. It seems odd. seems strange. Doesn't seem like much of anything, but we'll let you know. We'll, we'll take a look for, we'll take one for the team, uh, watch them and uh, get back to you. Kind of see, I, I'm curious to see how they approach these, uh, grand American stories. Like I'm picturing PBS has their American experience series where they deal with, you know, the Hoover dam and, you know, the Donner party and they have all these, you know, the grand American stories. So, with a name like American Chronicles, I have to wonder, is this Mark Frost and David Lynch doing, like, aping PBS? Or is it something totally... I haven't watched any of this. You're the only yeah, one I, of the two yes, of us who has spent any time with this series. And I watched tw- 10 minutes and I had no idea what the hell I was okay, watching. Okay, so. <laughs> I'm so excited to watch this. I have no... you have, And documentaries are my jam. Yeah. So I'm yes. super stoked for this. Yes, you don't understand. When Lindsay wants to do anything she has a documentary on in the background... Or sometimes it's just in the foreground. She will watch actual documentaries, I but most do. of the time you also have them on just, just to have. Marking essays, yeah. exams. And, and then you'll look up and be like, hey, did you know this about Stonehenge? And I'm like, what? You weren't what? even watching. How do you <laughs> retain this information? But uh, yes, yeah, so they're my favorite this. thing ever. Mm-hmm. So uh, a David Lynch, Mark Frost documentary series. I am there. I am 100% there for it. And I hope you guys will be too. Unlike Aiden, who's giving me a look right now. I will also exist at that point in time. (laughs) I love you. If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks. All one word. You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at Bickering Peaks. Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear from you. 